I'm Andrew Norton, and this is Completely Optional Knowledge. Patrick is a college professor in Dallas. Usually when I call up a college professor on this show, it's to get an answer, but this one has a question. My question basically is, how do animal taste buds work? What got you thinking about this? Well, I was in the backyard with my dog, and she ate some poop. (laughs) as dogs will do sometimes. I just thought, well, maybe dogs just don't have taste buds at all. You know, for me, this also goes to the bigger animal kingdom. Like, isn't the idea of taste buds, stuff that's bad for us tastes bad. Right. But it doesn't seem to work that way. What's the dog's name? Abby. She's a golden retriever. Is there anything else that Abby has eaten? What else has she eaten? Um, Socks. She once ate (laughs) one of my father-in-law's full man's casual sock. my wife takes Abby to nursing homes and she's eating dirty Kleenex out of trash cans at nursing homes. <laughs> she can't possibly be eating this stuff because it tastes good. Let's talk about some appetizing things too. You know, <laughs> like let's talk about mac and cheese. Otherwise people are going to listen to this podcast and skip lunch or something, right? <laughs> yeah, no, well, mac and cheese, you started to say that. Yes, that's one of my favorites. I was at a restaurant the other day, got this great lobster mac and cheese, which was fabulous. That's amazing. Okay, let's let's end on that thought before we continue <laughs> on with more disgusting things that dogs have eaten. I don't suppose Abby's there, we could hear from her just to get her side. Abby, you want to speak? Pleading the fifth, that's wise. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I'm Andrew Norton, and this is Completely Optional Knowledge. Brought to you by Greenpeace. Ask. Inquire. Seek the truth. The show where we take questions that make you go, huh? And we try and make you be like, oh. Completely Optional Knowledge is presented by Greenpeace. Help us out by texting the word knowledge to 877-877 and fill out their really quick listener survey. Danielle Reed is the Associate Director at the Monell Chemical Census Center in Philadelphia. Would you use the term taste scientist for what you do, or or is that something I just made up? (laughs) (laughs) Well, taste scientist works, yeah. So my official degree is in psychology, but I have a lot of training in genetics, but I study taste, so that makes me a taste scientist. I see. So when we talk about taste science, you know, I could see how the Taco Bells or the McDonald's of this world, why they would want to study taste. But what are some of the other scientific applications of, of studying and understanding taste? So, for instance, people who have a hard time detecting flavors, who have a poor sense of smell, that's often one of the very first signs of neurodegenerative diseases because actually there are neurons in the nose and when they're starting to fail, it's like canary in the coal mine. I see. See, for me, the the test is, do you like the taste of black licorice? Yes. Then you're getting old. That that was a realization (laughs) for me. That was like a scientific test. Yes. Okay. You're becoming your father. But yeah, no, I, I understand now. So there's certain things that if your taste buds aren't working, that could signal a larger problem. So can you regale us with some interesting stories of the experiments you've run? Well, at the moment, I'm looking across the hallway into my laboratory, and I see six people filling up 13,000 vials of little samples of milk. And the reason we're doing that (laughs) is to look to see how people actually perceive differences in the fat content of milk. And so that's one project that we're doing. We also do projects looking at the sense of taste in wild animals and domesticated animals. So for instance, one of the things I did at home for a while was to try to get my cats to drink Diet Coke 
to see if cats have a sense of sweet taste or artificial sweeteners. So you mentioned trying to feed your cat Diet Coke, which is, by the way, a really great mental image. But that reminds me of the whole reason I'm chatting with you is is because we have a listener named Patrick and Patrick has a dog named Abby. So like most dogs, Abby primarily eats dog food, but also like a lot of dogs, Abby also eats, you know, weird stuff like old socks and even her own poo. So this has Patrick just really confused about animal taste buds. I wonder if the question, what is taste, is a good place to start this. Sure. So taste is a good place to start, but taste itself is never the whole story. If you think about it, taste is whether you consciously perceive the chemicals you put in your mouth. So for instance, cats are unable to perceive the taste of sweetness because they lack the receptor in their mouth that responds to sugar. But they also are not able to digest sugar because they're what we call strict carnivores. They're meat eaters. And so even if a cat does ingest sweet sort of by accident, if you will, it makes them feel bad. And so they're disinclined to do it. And so it's not only the positive yummy feel that we get in the mouth, it's that good feeling we get later. So I can only conclude that Patrick's dog when eating smelly socks is making somehow making the dog feel better. I always thought that, okay, animals evolve to like the taste of things that are good for them and that that keeps them away from the things that aren't so good to them. You know, the sock must have tasted like um, a gym bag, (laughs) you know? And so did the dog think, hey, this tastes good. I'm going to swallow it. Or was it this sock's texture is really interesting. I want to find out where this leads me. Probably the explanation lies in the fact that sweaty socks smell like isovaleric acid, which is also found in cheese. And in fact, there's some famous experiments where people are asked to smell isovaleric acid. And in one case, they're told it's body odor. And in another case, they're told that it smells like cheese. It smells just the same, but it's the perception that it's a food that makes people want to eat it. So my guess is the dog is smelling the isovaleric acid and thinking it's a food. Huh. I mean, I guess I just come back to the fact that like us, dogs are omnivores, but they're not constrained by sort of the social cues that we appreciate. So I think Mm. if the dog thinks the smelly sock smells like yummy cheese, it's going to go ahead and investigate. Right. Okay. So I was going to ask why taste is so subjective compared to other senses, but then I thought about how long it takes to figure out what paint color you want to paint your house when you're, <laughs> when you're at Home Depot. Right. And I think that maybe one missing piece in this discussion is the fact that people are born with very different senses of taste because there are many taste receptors, especially for bitter. So a receptor would respond to a specific kind of bitter compound. And there's a lot of genetic variation in those receptors. See, I'm trying to convince my wife that I'm like a super taster when it comes to bitter stuff, because I can't stand coffee. (laughs) I can't stand like alcohol. I can't do it. And but she's just like, no, you're just soft. You're not, you know, there's nothing special with you. (laughs) What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get you to uh, to settle and argue with my wife and I, and I won't pursue that any further. But it's it's interesting (laughs) to hear you uh, hear you mention that, right? That is not necessarily 
just perception. It's, hey, sometimes people are wired up a little bit differently. Oh, absolutely. And actually, one of my favorite things to do is to get a sample of somebody's DNA beforehand and then predict what kinds of bitter compounds they can or cannot taste. Wow. And so wow. there's objective ways to settle this dispute with your wife. Okay. So I'm sending you, I'm clipping my hair right now and putting yes. it in an envelope. <laughs> That's great. I didn't know you could actually glean that from, uh, from DNA. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. So I have one more dog related question. I, you know, I don't want to keep you for too long, but we also mentioned the dog sniffing and eating its own poop. Why would it do that? Um, actually, many animals do that. It's called corpophagia. And I'm not sure that anybody truly understands why that is. It could be a recycling of beneficial bacteria. Um, it could be something about the volatiles is attractive. We really don't know why that is, but I think it's pretty rare in humans. So before I let you go, what's your favorite taste? Oh, well, I'm ashamed to tell you my favorite thing is Diet Raspberry Snapple. <laughs> There's a case of Diet Raspberry Snapple underneath my desk. That is so interesting. Isovaleric acid. I should have known all along the old isovaleric acid. <laughs> that old trick. That's right. And then eating the poop, I guess, is corpophagia, coprophagia. Yeah, corpophagia. We should do like a glossary of science terms. You can impress your friends with this. Sound very <laughs> fancy, but mean very <laughs> vulgar things. Yeah. I guess eating the poop is less to do with the taste than with some sort of instinctive recycling the minerals or whatever's in the poop. So it's, it's a recycling function. Right. Well, you know what? I have heard things about people taking capsules of, of, of feces to try and get the microbes and your gut bacteria back up to the right level. So maybe, maybe dogs know something that we don't. Right. I, I hadn't even thought about that, but you're exactly right. That's a sort of a big thing these days, replenishing gut flora with fecal transplants. Right. Well, I just want to take this moment to say that the Completely Optional podcast and its subsidiaries and sponsors do not condone human corpophagia. Okay? <laughs> right. I just want to say that. <laughs> Let's just make that The clear. lawyers are yeah. making me say that. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> Completely Optional Knowledge is presented by Greenpeace. And unlike other podcast sponsors, they don't want to try and sell you a mattress or anything. Not that there's anything wrong with that. They just want to get to know you. So text the word knowledge to 877-877 and fill out the quick listener survey. It's really easy and you'll be helping support the show. Completely Optional Knowledge is produced by J.P. Davidson. Breakmaster Cylinder made our theme music. And me, I'm Andrew Norton. Head over to completelyoptionalknowledge.org to hear more episodes, to subscribe, and to, of course, ask us your questions because we need your weird questions to keep this thing going. Leave us a voicemail with your questions and feedback at 202-697-6912. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back in two weeks with more Completely Optional Knowledge. And hey, do us a favor. If you do subscribe to the show, give us one of those ratings on iTunes, man. They really, really help us. And if you have already, you know, tell a friend, tell someone on Facebook about this podcast. Science.